they have to know how to hold a homeowner's hand through that process because it's generally their first time. Yeah. They're getting completely blindsided by it. They've got no no experience with this before. The builder's seen it before, but, you know, so that whole kind of um, that side of the relationship really needs to be. And that's, I mean, that's where I really try and support people particularly because they don't, it, they're always surprised by it. Welcome to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Talking business ownership, the nuts and bolts, and everything in between. Yes, welcome to the Tradies Business Show. Good to be with you again. Another fantastic episode today. I'm pretty sure I say that every time. That's because they're all fantastic episodes, and you know that because you keep listening. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love getting feedback from you. Uh, Facebook page has been a little quiet lately, probably because I've been a little quiet on there, focusing on a few other projects as well that I've got going on. So, uh, yeah, lots happening in the background, launching a new brand, which is very time-consuming, actually, and uh, I've been putting a lot of work into that. So pretty uh, excited about getting that thing up and running, and I'll uh, share some more details with you as that develops but um today's episode so you heard a little sound grab there from today's guest uh somebody who has kind of been on both sides of the fence or maybe both sides of the orange safety tape when it comes to building a house and renovating uh i chat with amelia from undercover architect now I made a commitment to myself this year that, um, 2018 by the way, depending on when you're listening to this, that I was going to dig a little deeper with some of my guests and talk a bit more about their personal stuff and what makes them tick and some of their learnings in the hope that sharing that would help you, my listeners, uh, build your true tradie business and, uh, and achieve all those wonderful things like freedom and flexibility and money and trips to Bali and all that sort of stuff. So uh, what that means is some of these interviews tend to run a little longer. And today is certainly no exception. Amelia and I had a great chat. She has so much information to share. And uh, honestly, I didn't want to pull it up short. Uh, but we both <laughs> we both had other things that we had to go and do. So um, by all means, go check out her website, uh, and yeah, stick around till the end. There's some fantastic content. Whether you're a tradie in the automotive industry or the building industry, or uh, I don't know, landscaping. Uh, is that technically building industry? I'm not sure. If you're a landscaper, go hit me on Facebook. Are you in the building industry or are you a construction trade or are you just a trade? Fascinates me that whole term tradie. I wonder what it includes. Anyway, enough rambling from me. Check out today's episode. Great chat. Some awesome learnings in here. As I said, whether you're a builder, building trades, someone who wants to renovate a house, building a house, had a bad experience building a house, either way, you're going to get some good stuff out of this. Enjoy. All right. Joining me today at the Tradies Business Show is a lady by the name of Amelia, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Probably, well, you could make some assumptions based on the name of her business uh, and her brand, but rather than do that, because you know what happens with assumptions, listeners, I'm going to let Amelia introduce herself and uh, and tell us a bit about who she is, what she's doing, and why on earth she's talking to Woz at the Tradies Business Show. So welcome, Amelia. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure, I'm sure. Uh, Amelia, 
Give us, give us your bio. You know that boring thing that people always read out when you do speaking gigs? Have you ever had yeah, that happen? The elevator pitch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I always dread it when uh, I've done a few speaking gigs over the years to business people and all that sort of stuff and conferences. And they ask for a bio and I think, I know what's going to happen with this. Some crusty <laughs> old dude is going to stand on stage and read this out verbatim and it's going to yeah. sound boring as the proverbial. So yeah. give, well, us, give us the non-boring up. version. Yeah, yeah. So as you said earlier, uh, my name is Amelia Lee and I'm an architect and I have a business called Undercover Architect. And so Undercover Architect operates mainly online to help homeowners, especially women, get it right when they're designing, building or renovating their home. So I have a blog, I have a podcast, I run a couple of online programs and I really seek to teach people what they need to know so that they can achieve great outcomes uh, for their homes and have a far simpler project overall and just really save time, money and stress in the process. So, um, yeah, yes, and I've been, in, I've been in the architectural industry for over 20 years now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've worked in private practice, worked for a large development company. I did some postgraduate study in property economics as well as architecture and, uh, and I co-owned an architectural practice in Brisbane um, for about five years and had we had a studio in Sydney as well. And uh, almost four years ago now, uh, I left that business and we moved from Brisbane to the Byron Hinterland, which was something we'd wanted to do for about nine or ten years. So it was sort of realising a long-held dream. And when we moved, it was a case of um, figuring out what I was going to do next. And it was really, uh, I didn't want to be travelling a lot for work. I've got three young kids. And I felt like I had this wealth of knowledge and experience. My husband and I have also done three renovations of our own. And I just felt like people were getting the information that they needed too late. I was so sick of having conversations with homeowners who'd had terrible experiences just because they hadn't been informed up front about key critical information um, because it was all locked up in in one-to-one relationships with designers or with builders and they just weren't privy to what they needed to know when they needed to know it. And for me, having a, a, a great home that works for you um, doesn't cost any more. It's just about you knowing what you need to know up front. And so Undercover Architect started as really a means by which I could package up all of that knowledge and expertise and experience in my own projects and in the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of projects I've done um, across my career and getting it in front of people in a way that was going to be easily digestible for them, help them feel far more empowered in the process and really help improve the industry overall uh, because I fully believe that an informed homeowner um, helps everybody in the industry deliver a far better outcome. Mm. It. Uh, I, I want to pick up on a few things you shared there, Amelia. Um, first of all, as you move to the Byron Hinterland, mm. so uh, what you said that was a long-held dream. Um, what brought about the decision to finally do it? Um, I, at the end of 2013, I went on a trip with a not-for-profit, um, an organization called the hunger project. And so, um, it's a, it's a not-for-profit that basically believes that the key to ending hunger and poverty lies with those who are most impacted by it. So it seeks to educate and empower them to find their own way out of hunger and poverty. And, um, I went on a leadership and immersion program with a organization, a ne- women's networking um, organization called Business Chicks, which has about, I think, about 50,000 members in Australia. It's Australia's largest female networking organization mm-hmm. and um, is now also in the States. And they, you had to commit to fundraising $10,000 and then you went with a group of 20 women who'd done similarly and, uh, and traveled over there. And it really put, I suppose, 
um, it shone a light, I think. Uh, there's nothing like standing in an African village and seeing people who had generations of hunger and poverty and really not known any other way of life, changing their, their, changing their existence and changing their future and really, um, really sort of, I suppose, reversing what they've always known. And it, it just, yeah, it really put perspective on all of the excuses I was putting in front of myself to to not really live the life I wanted to live. We'd spoken about living in the Byron hinterland, having a really flexible family-centred lifestyle for a long time, having our kids kind of having that freedom to just run around in lots of green space. And, and uh, yeah, we, we'd renovated three houses, as, um, as I said, and at the end of every renovation, we did that over a period of about 12 years. So we had a baby every renovation. We lived in them. We did bulk of the work ourselves. And uh, the last one that we did, we turned a house that was almost 100 square metres into something that was over 400 square metres. And wow. um, it was a big, big project that we did over <laughs> about three and a half years. We bit off far more than we could chew and we just chewed really fast. We did a really, <laughs> <laughs> But um, we also had our third baby and I started my architectural practice at the same time. So it was just a massive time in our lives where the culmination was actually going on this trip to Uganda and I came home and said to my husband, we had the house on the market and we got the top price in the suburb that year. We did really well. And I said to my husband, "Is never going to be a right time. We're never going to have enough money the way that we think that we need to have enough. Like what is enough anyway? Mm. Um, you know, let's just bite the bullet and do it now. The kids were at a really good age. And so we, yeah, I told within a week of being home, I told my business partners, I had five business partners in that business, told them that I needed to leave and that we were going to be doing this. And um, so we spent the next six months exiting me out of the business and um, my husband and I looking for somewhere to move to. And it literally all came together like in a weekend. We had I finished up at the business. We had this property exchange. It was the middle of school holidays, so we moved and I was texting the kids' school principal to say, sorry, they're not going to be back next term. We've moved interstate. So <laughs> it was really this culmination of a very long, yeah, long sort of momentum of stuff. Um, that yeah really came together for us. So it was it was um, it was really great. Wow, I'm uh, I'm exhausted just thinking about taking <laughs> a, a hundred square meter house and turning it into a four hundred square meter house. Never mind about chucking kids and businesses and everything else in there. So, um, how on earth did you guys manage all of that without losing your marbles? Um, I'm not sure you'd say that we didn't lose our marbles. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, look. I don't know. We've always, um, I know personally, um, I've always had really big goals for my life and big things that we wanted to do. And for us, renovating our own homes was really, we decided very early on in the piece that we wanted to both be around for our kids and, and uh, you know, be able to be at home with them. And renovating was a way for us to sort of supplement our income, build a bit of a financial nest egg, plus, you know, not have to be, um, be able to be more flexible with our work, I suppose. So, and I, I don't know, I just, I grew up, my mum was a was always on the end of a paintbrush. So I was kind of always used to our house changing on a regular basis. Mm. We, My husband and I just got used to living in construction sites, you know. We went without a <laughs> kitchen for eight months. We were, Jeez. there was, when my, when my second was born, we were living in one room. We had a security, like a door in the hallway and the other half of the house was completely gutted and open to the elements, you know. Like we just got used to living like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for us, we just always had our eye on the horizon of where we are now. So it, yeah, there were it was incredibly stressful, and particularly that last project, um, kind of it was a big it was a big big undertaking. We had a, a builder supervise us and do inspections, but my husband 
and worked alongside a carpenter and pretty much touched every stick in that house. And um, he did the bulk of the work um, with the carpenter. And then, of course, we had trades that he would manage and I would be then doing quotes and drawings and all of that kind of stuff whilst I was working in my architectural practice. So, yeah, we not a lot of sleep and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, But we had a lot of help from family and friends as well, a lot of support and emotional support and, you know, all of those things that are really essential when you're renovating a building. So, yeah. Were there any moments where you questioned your <laughs> your choices? Oh, totally, totally. I think, um, yeah, there were times, and, you know, my husband more so than me, I, I can always kind of see where I'm trying to get to, whereas he's very much more, he likes to be in the now, enjoy the moment, um, feels like we're always juggling too much, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there was definitely times where we would just look around and go, wow, we'd see friends being able to afford to go on holidays and you know all that kind of stuff we didn't have really have a holiday all of those years and you know we, every weekend we were in the house doing something so yeah there was lots of time but I look at now where we are and and what we've been able to achieve because we invested that effort and time and it's just yeah it, it, it's I suppose it's it's really kind of a, a, a judgment on what you really want to achieve and, and what, what, what it's worth to you to, to make it happen. So, mm. um, yeah, for me it's that, that whole thing. of If you want what others don't have, you've got to do what others won't do. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that painted on the wall at a uh, – so I'm into my CrossFit, as many of my listeners will know, and I did a competition on the weekend. And, oh, uh, awesome. That was painted on the wall. Uh, and as I was you know sweating it out midway through a workout, I sort of looked up and saw these words and – I probably wasn't feeling the love at the moment, but at that moment, but uh, <laughs> but it is true, you know. It's it's. Uh, I, I've read a few books uh, lately. I, I read a fair bit, and and um, I'm sure a lot of people have read Mark Manson's "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a You Know What." Yes, and, yes. And you know, it's that acceptance that life's hard, and we're all going to have problems, and we all get stuff wrong, uh, and you know, not getting bent out of shape about being wrong about stuff. Is so important. Yeah, and I think you've got to accept that failure is part of the learning experience mm. um, and how you deal with failure and your resilience around failure is is, uh, is is far more important than the failure itself. So for me, you know, I, I was in this architectural practice with five business partners. We had 20 staff and we had been a Telstra State finalist in the business awards. We'd been on the BRW Fast Starters list. Here I was at the helm of this act, you know, up-and-coming architectural practice, but it just wasn't lighting a fire mm. in me. And I was like, hang on, this is as an architect, this is supposed to be the be-all and end-all. You're supposed to yeah. want to have a big practice. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and so for me to realise that about myself was really confronting at the time. And it took a while for me then to, you know, it was really the, it was a fair few months and then the trip to Uganda was definitely kind of the, the thing that really went, no, nah, you've actually got to own the fact that this is not who you are and what you want to do. But it was, yeah, it took a long time for me to really come to terms with that and and not see it as a failure that I didn't want to own an architectural practice, that I could still enjoy what I'm doing, make a really big dent in the industry and in the world and help a lot of homeowners if I just packaged up my knowledge in a different way. So, yeah. Mm, and that's a really nice segue into Undercover Architect. <laughs> uh, before we sort of jump into the specifics around what you do and how you do it, do you think that whole um, that little conversation about accepting failure as part of of um, life really is where people get a bit get it a bit wrong, perhaps, or, or cause themselves more suffering than necessary with building and renovating? 
Oh, so much so because I th- I see what happened both from tradespeople uh, and builders and from the homeowner side is that there's a, a hesitation to own the failure and just kind of then find a solution and move through it. Everybody kind of dances around the fact that they're not comfortable about talking about it, or um, and it, so it prolongs it. It gets it builds up far more, um, I suppose, impact and consequence when it doesn't get spoken about for some time. Mm. And so, for you know, I, I know, and I think it was my I worked at Mervac for about seven years and was part of their senior design team. And so, you know, we would see there that all the time people would make mistakes, but there was such a, a, a fantastic knowledge base and experience base wrapped around all of us that it was kind of like okay this is the mistake what are we going to do this is what worked another time okay let's tackle let's change let's move quickly you know because if we move quickly then it's not going to have the dramatic impact that it could otherwise keeping quiet about that sort of stuff it people don't not see it they just see that you're not communicating it and so that gets interpreted in a whole lot worse way than if you just said hang on I've stuffed up this is what I can think. I think we can do with it. I used to say to my team at at, um, at Mervac, "Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions." And mm-hmm. so that was, you know, really a, that that thing of, "Okay, I've done this. This is what I think. These are the three things that I can think can fix it." And we'd go, "Yep, okay, all right, let's go." And you find people are so much more accepting and compassionate if you actually say, "Look, I'm really sorry. This has happened. We're all human. Everybody understands this." You know, I say I often say to my community. You've got to remember that people are people first before they're business people. So you have no idea what's going on in somebody's life when they turn up to your site every day. Hmm. They could be going through a marriage breakup. They could have a kid that's sick. They could be really struggling with cash flow. They could have had a really big hit on their own personal finances. And they're, they're bringing all of that to your job. And so when you talk to somebody, you've got to understand that they're a person first and just, um, yeah, really, really communicate at an open level about that. Yeah. Yep. And that's... Uh... It's the source of so many disagreements in business. I know we're talking about building projects and, and uh, you know, that's a subset of what goes on in life, but I just see so many relationship clashes because nobody gives the other party, I guess, that leeway of, oh, well, maybe they're not having a great time at the moment. You know, there's this yeah. assumption that everyone's life is set up the way it should be and that if things aren't going the way I want, then somehow it's, you know, it's a personal thing. Yeah, I teach my community that because a lot of my community being, you know, largely they're homeowners and largely female, they're very concerned and nervous about giving feedback because they see it as criticism, that it will look like a personal attack mm. and um, and they're not sure how it will be received and that then they'll look like the bad person. They'll then be the annoying client. They'll put the person, the builder or tradesperson offside and everything will be yucky from there on in. Um, and I teach people just to talk about it from the position of how you feel so rather than pointing the finger and saying you do this you do that this is what you've done wrong you know you you should have done this you should have done this differently you should have told me blah 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 blah. if if they can instead frame it and I think this works for anybody in any position if you can frame it and say look I feel that this has happened I feel I may have misunderstood what you meant when you said this I feel that perhaps we could have done this differently. Mm. It's an entirely different conversation that you have with somebody. And there's a whole heap of nuances of communication that are really worth learning when you're dealing in such an intimate relationship as that builder, homeowner, tradesperson, homeowner kind of relationship where there's money and stress and emotions involved in a family home and it being delivered, Mm. that those nuances of communication just smooth the waters so significantly and make it far better for everyone. So... Oh, They're absolutely. really worth learning, yeah. And it is uh, building a house or renovating 
it's such a like it really exposes a lot of that personal stuff. I know I've I've been through it a few times, uh, building and renovating, and I don't know what it is about houses, but uh, you know, homeowners or or people who are having a house built or a project done, it's kind of like it peels away everything. And so if if the builder does something that's I don't know not what they wanted, somehow it's like really close to the bone for them. Versus, yeah. I don't know, getting getting the brakes fixed on your car is, is a lot less emotion uh, behind yeah. that. Yeah, I actually spoke about it on a recent podcast because I feel like there are a lot of secrets that people keep when it comes to building and renovating yeah. Yeah. that really isolate them from getting the support that they need. And I see it in my community. There's a hesitation to sort of publicly talk about their homes and their their challenges and those types of things and it happens for a few reasons one nobody wants to look like an idiot you know nobody wants to look foolish so if they feel that they've made a mistake or made a poor choice there's this incredible fear of stuffing it up and having permanent consequences that you have to live with and just Mm -hmm. looking like an idiot in the process another one is that money is wrapped up in status you know and our personal sense of achievement and accomplishment in our lives so you know, when we're talking about money and how much we have and how much we're able to spend and, you know, there's there's not only the immediate fear of if you tell anybody what your budget is, they're immediately going to want to spend all of it plus more and just rip you off. <laughs> yes. But there's that also, well, this is how much money I've got access to. So this kind of says what I've been able to achieve as a person, you know, and, and, and people just naturally have that, whether it's true or not. Yeah. And then the third thing is that our homes, we have an incredible emotional attachment to our homes that we totally underestimate before we start building and renovating. And we think often that the person that we are in our work life, um, you know, we might be really organized and efficient in our work life. It totally goes off the table when it's our own home on the line. And the emotional attachment, the emotional investment that we have in our future sense of selves, in our future, like the future dreams that we have for what our home's going to be and what our lifestyle's going to be when, you know, the kind of environment we're creating for our kids all of that gets bundled up in this project. So it's this melting pot of just so much stuff that the poor builder turns up on site and just is really going, well, I'm here to do a job, but they have to know how to hold, <laughs> they have to know how to hold a homeowner's hand through that process because it's generally their first time. Yeah. They're getting completely blindsided by it. They've got no, no experience with this before. The builder's seen it before, but, you know, so that whole kind of, um, that side of the relationship really needs to be, and that's, I mean, that's where I really try and support people, particularly because they don't, it, they're always surprised by it. They're like, I'm a really, I'm a really calm person normally, but this project is just sending me haywire, you know? So I'm <laughs> just, arguing with my husband because I can't agree on anything. The kids are having their say, and I'm like, your kids, what are you going to do? And, you know, you'll get what you're given, but I, I want them to love it and I want them to feel like they can have their friends over and I want it to, I want our place to be the hub and yeah, not yeah. Gonna, you know, all of these things, these dreams and these hopes that we just are all unspoken that we bring to the table when we're building and renovating. So, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I'm picturing these these poor builders, well, poor builders, I mean, someone bring it on themselves, I guess, as we all do with everything in life, but walking into these emotional firefights, uh, very underprepared for what's uh-huh. going on. Exactly. And it's the good builders that get that. Yeah. You know, it's the good tradespeople that get that. They they get that there's a whole other um, relationship that they have to have with their clients that is, uh, yeah, that is all conditional on that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, it sounds like you've got because you live up in the in the sticks, I think, uh, in the bar and hinterland. I just closed my window because my dog is <laughs> the, the 
the cows must be doing something outside. Oh, that's really awesome. Excited. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I was picturing like, you know, the dogs have bailed up a brown snake in the paddock <laughs> or something like that, you know, <laughs> but it's cows. That's even better. The dog's one side of the fence and the cows are the other. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, sorry about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, all good, all good. So I wanted I wanted to ask uh, with your own projects, um, did you go over budget? Like were there things that despite your knowledge and experience still didn't go the way you would have hoped? Yeah, I think um, I think for us, look, our, we always had, because there were projects we were selling, our budget was sort of, it was a little bit flexible because it was always based on what the return was going to be at the other uh, end. Yep, so yep. we knew that there were certain decisions that we could make if we spent X amount more that it would get a better return or in, or improve the speed of the sale and those types of things. So we did have a bit of flex around our budget. Mm. That being said, there was still stuff that went wrong. And my husband found that, you know, we he works to a really high standard to the point where the builder was sort of saying, look, you don't actually need to do it to that level. Mm. Um, but he just felt far more... Um, far more confident in the in the sale process that there wouldn't be anything to pick up on if we did an absolutely perfect job as much as we could. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think you know I think the challenge for us, where the big challenge was for us, is because we were on site. Um, I could change things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. And that's what I encourage my homeowners not to do. Is you know <laughs> once you start construction, you know the changes are always the minute you have people standing around on site not doing anything that's always going to be costing you far more but um yeah i uh, for me i was really um i would change things and that would be that would be what would cause the most stress amongst us i would just say look um you know we, i think we need to do this i think we need to do this and he'd be like oh you know geez do you really need i was just about to start that and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah so, so that for us was sort of the main thing yeah so the lesson in that is don't live in the house while it's being renovated <laughs> well, don't. <laughs> Don't have an architect as a wife. <laughs> uh, that, that one might be a little more difficult to rectify, I think. <laughs> you can't just submit a variation for that one. Dear idea. So, yeah. um, so I, again, I'm just picking up on things that you've shared uh, already in your conversation because you've, you've covered so much ground uh, already, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I want to just wind back a little bit. You talked about exiting the, uh, the big practice and really yep. changing direction. Uh, again, how did you go about doing that? Because I know a lot of my listeners or some of my listeners um, are faced with this decision. You know, They're in a business that's going in a certain direction and it's not necessarily aligned with what they want to be doing. I'm just curious to know how you approached that and, and you know, was it a scary jump or was it easy? Like, Did it just make sense? What, what happened when you made that shift? I think when I first realized it, it was incredibly, it was incredibly confronting, as I said. Um, I, yeah, I realized it. And these, these, um, the people I was working with, they were, my business partners were all ex-Mervac as well. So I'd worked with these, the point that I sort of made the decision um, that I was thinking about leaving, I'd worked with them for about 12 years. So one of, you know, one of my business partners is my youngest godfather. You know, we were all very, very yeah, good right. friends. And, um, and so for me, I started sort of speaking to him about it first and saying, look, I just feel that this isn't a good fit. I'm not sure what's on the horizon. Um, I was, yeah, so I was quite open with him, but I didn't really, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't know how to share it with the others necessarily. And I didn't know re really what it meant for me. Um, and 
Yeah, I had a somebody say to me at the time, the fact that you're thinking it probably means that it's like a 95% chance of it happening. Mm. And and mm. so that sort of then thought, okay, well, if there is something next, what is next? And I looked for everything but architecture. Um, you know, I was sort of looking to have, I thought it was the career that I didn't like. I really wanted to take a complete break. Um, but I soon realized I just wasn't doing it the way I wanted to do it. So, yeah, I think it was really, it was very nerve wracking. And there's that whole kind of look, this is a, I've, I kept thinking, am I going to be kicking myself stepping out of the business at this point because I've put in, you know, we've all put in this groundwork to start this growing business and where are they going to be in 5, 10, 15 years' time? Am I going to be kicking myself that I didn't then get to see the benefit mm. of all of that work? Um, but it's interesting now that, I mean, they're still going great guns as a business and Undercover Architect is going great guns as a business and I, I'm very, very happy for DC8 Studios' success and, and um, think it's awesome that, you know, that it's continuing to grow the way that they, they as a business want to and I'm very happy that I'm where I am. So it's, yeah, I think you, you kind of, whenever you have those kinds of feelings, you just got to sit with them for a while, I think, and because your first reaction is always, crap, how am I going to pay the bills? Yeah. And, you know, and... For me too, it was it was that thing of this. I'm supposed this is kind of what as an architect you're supposed to do. You're supposed to own your own practice or be working at the top of a very big practice. Yeah, isn't that you know that's what we're sort of yeah. But I just knew it wasn't a good fit for my lifestyle. So and for me, yeah, being being a, a wife and a mum and having a really family centred life, that that sort of is my that sits at the front of everything else. And so when it when your work life doesn't fit in alignment with that. It's never going to gel, you know. It's always going to feel at odds and um, and pull you in a, in a different direction. Mm. So, awesome. Well, um, well done on making the the change, Amelia. And I want to dive in now, so we we do actually talk about undercover architect <laughs> in your current work. Uh, I I did I made a bit of a well not a commitment to myself, but um, I took a, a something of a sabbatical or a hiatus from the podcast uh, last year. And when I got back to recording, I I sort of. Uh, wanted to do more of the personal conversations with people but you know the, the things that business owners are out there in in tradie land are struggling with that don't necessarily relate to finance and marketing and and um you know recruitment and all that sort of stuff they're all important but really it's the person that makes the difference you know we've got to get better at, at doing you you know being the best version of ourselves so thank you for sharing you know, all that with us i know that's and i'll just say quickly it was before we move on yeah. one of the best things that i did was i started to do i did some coaching with somebody who did some strengths of testing for me so I looked at she used a couple of different strengths tools so there's a tool called gallup which you can at g-a-l-l-u-p which you mm -hmm. can take online mm -hmm. um there's of course myers brig which is one that get, happens in a lot of corporates and i did i'd done that one inside mervac but for me, my corporate background was was always teaching me to improve my weaknesses, and hmm. I think that's what we get taught at school. Like, what are you what are you not great at? How do you get better at that? Rather than mm. what actually works in your work life, and what I've learned it works in your work life is when you figure out what your strengths are, and then you just work to those strengths, and you improve those strengths, and you get other help in supporting the weaknesses. Yeah. You will be so far more impactful, and so and enjoy your work so much better if you just worked if you figure out on how to work to your strengths and you get support on the weaknesses. And for me, that was a really key changing point in figuring out that I needed to leave DCA and start something else because I had my, one of my business partners had also been, he'd been my boss back at Mervac. Um, and I had been modeling myself on him and the way mm -hmm. that he worked. And yep. I realized that 
he and I actually worked incredibly well as a team because we were very complementary in our skill sets. And so I was far better working to my strengths, him working to his strengths, rather than me trying to figure out how to be him. And so, you know, that I think is, it's a very straightforward thing to do to get some strengths testing and really then see, okay, what do those strengths mean? How can I bring them into my business so that I'm having more fun? I'm actually doing stuff I enjoy every day. And then where do I need the support to, to improve that, to improve the business overall? And clearly in doing that, the results have come for you. I mean, you live uh, yeah. in the, the hinterland, one of the most beautiful parts in the world. Uh, you know, you've got a, a brilliant online business and community and, you know, you're doing the stuff that's obviously feeding that fire. Yes, most definitely. Brilliant. So talk to us then about Undercover Architect. So who do you work with and and why? <laughs> <laughs> why are you yeah. doing this, Amelia? <laughs> For me, I felt, um, I think as I said earlier, you know, there's, there's homeowners generally have a massive fear around building or renovating their family homes. So I work largely with people who are renovating or building their long-term family homes. Um, I do have people, other people that work with me, but that's my main sort of focus and mm-hmm. target. Um, so they've got small kids or kids on the way, kids moving into teenage years, houses not working for them um, and really needing to take that next step and and planning on being in the house anywhere between sort of five and 15 years. Now, um, I felt that all of the fears that people have around building and renovating, them, you know, the cost blowouts, uh, the time blowouts and all of the unknowns, but the big one is that they'll just stuff it up, that yeah. they'll just make decisions that become the permanent walls that they have to live with and remind them every day that they made a mistake. <laughs> and, you know, and they've invested all this cash, they've borrowed all this money, and it's a 30-year wager. You know, you've got a 30-year yeah. mortgage, you're making a 30-year wager on getting it right. And I just felt that the knowledge that they all needed was always locked up in who they ended up managing to choose. And, you know, I know personally from my own industry experience, just because somebody has a specific qualification does not necessarily make them good at their job. It happens in every industry. So, yeah, it was like, how do I, you know, I'd sat across the table from enough builders and developers who said to me, the client, the client's not going to pay more for it. So we're not going to do it. You know, we can't, we can't get a return on the bottom line. So we're not going to be able to to do that. And I felt that the way for me to improve that experience and improve the industry overall was to educate the homeowner that they could ask for better. They could demand more if they were informed, if they knew how to ask for what they want, could be sure that they were getting what they paid for, then that would improve the industry for everyone. And there are so many good tradespeople and good builders and good designers out there who get tarred with the same brush mm. as as the, the shonky ones in the industry. And I just didn't, I didn't want to make room for the shonky ones anymore. And I knew that the homeowner was the key to doing that. They hold the key. They're the ones making the decisions. They're the ones spending the money. And if I could educate them, about what to look for and how to know what to, to do, then that was the way I could just change the way that we build and renovate our homes. So are you uh, are you like a, a marked woman amongst builders and tradespeople because you're out there, you know, secretly informing the customers about their <laughs> rights and everything? Like, <laughs> I don't mean I, to be conspiracy. Yeah, but... No, no, no. I have two camps. So I have builders and tradespeople who get in touch with me and say, I'd never heard of you. I've had a homeowner come to me who's been reading your blog or listening to your podcast or has done one of your courses. Thank you. Hmm. They're not kicking tires. They're incredibly informed. They know what they want. We're having a great journey. This is brilliant. Thank you so much for what you do. You know, Um, I'm going to be telling all of my people to go and look at your stuff because it's really making a difference. 
Then there's the others who troll me, who say, you wouldn't last five minutes on site. You've got no freaking idea. Um, <laughs> you know, it's people like you that give all of us a bad name. And for me, um, you know, I look at that and I think, well, if you're like that with somebody that you have never met, what are you like with the poor homeowner that's working with you and spending their money with you yeah. who's a scared woman most of the time? Yeah. And so, I, you know, for me, the fact that I still get those emails means that I still got work to do. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, as far as informing homeowners, like, or, or, or you know, people undertaking these projects, what are some of the key things that I guess people do get wrong? If we just talk about it in plain language, where where are some yeah. of the areas that people go wrong? For me, it always starts with the core fundamentals of design. So, learning about orientation, why you need to design a home for how the sun moves across your site, and understand how to make the most of the natural assets that are available on your site in terms of sun, breezes you know, what the water's doing, all of those types of things. You know, when you can create a home that is designed for to, to really maximise those natural assets, it makes a significant difference to how the home feels and how it functions and its ongoing costs and, um, and you know, it just so many people don't understand, particularly in Australia, why, you know, creating a home that faces north is important. And mm. um, so for me, teaching about orientation is a really key thing. And then it's looking at about how you create homes that are really going to be functional. Functional. How are they? You know, I um, my uh, my second podcast season actually takes people room by room through the house. How to think about where it needs to be placed in the house. Thinking about functionality, flow, flexibility, and furnishability. So, how are you really going to get that home to work for me? When a home works for a family, it's what makes life simpler, more fun, more convenient, more enjoyable, actually helps you be the best version of yourself as you go out into the world each day because mm. you're not dealing with the frustration of your daily environment all of the time, you know? You're so banging your head on so, the cupboard that was put in the wrong place and Yeah. yeah. Forgetting yeah, the keys have got you know, keys are not where you thought they were because they don't have a place to be. The kids' <laughs> school bags are all dumped by the door because they don't have a place to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's all of that stuff that really just if we can get it to work in it and, and it, you know, science has shown that we need natural light for our well-being. It lowers anxiety, you know, it, it lowers stress. So when we can have that in our everyday environment, in our homes, you know, we look at the money and work and expertise that gets invested into art galleries, office buildings, you know, all of the public places around us. Yet for the homes, the places that we live every single day, there's never that, you know, it's so rare. Architects themselves I think there's only something like it's between three and eight percent of homes in Australia are designed by architects. So there's this whole other wealth of home building going on that doesn't have. Um, and I'm not saying that an architect has to design a house, but it doesn't have. A, it doesn't. It's not always necessarily even designed. You know, there's a lot of big project home builders where basically a draftsman comes up with a plan. If it fits their efficiency delivery model, it doesn't get tested in a design sense. It just tests tested in basically that conveyor belt of production line. Yeah. Then it gets put in the catalogue, and a homeowner doesn't know that. A homeowner believes that if it's there, somebody says that it's okay. You know, so yeah, yeah it's for me, it's really disrupting that and and teaching the homeowner how to think about the design and then it's really about how to find the team that they're going to work with and how are they going to know the overall picture for how to get from the point of okay this is what we're going to do you know who do we need to speak to first through to yep okay our project is finished the builder can leave site we're all good to move back in and all of the steps in between so it's yeah it's it's teaching them how to find the best people that are going to be a good fit for them knowing how to communicate really well with them so that they can be sure that everybody's on the same page being able to chart that progress as you move through the project 
and um, anticipate all of the the risks and challenges that might be so you can really minimize the impact of them on yourself and on your budget. Mm. So what can tradies learn from from you and and the work that you do, Amelia? Because obviously that's who's listening to this podcast predominantly. Um, I guess, uh, funnily enough, a lot of tradies build houses and renovate. So, you know, perhaps they can uh, pick up some <laughs> some clues as uh, how to be good clients of their own. But Yeah, I've it, had a couple of builders do my courses, actually. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's the next product, Amelia. <laughs> um, uh, so, no, well, for me, there's two things. Um, one is that, you know, uh, is is basically hearing, getting some of that that design education um, and understanding it because oftentimes people just bypass the designer completely and tradespeople are often making a lot of design decisions on site. If you go to do a bathroom reno or a kitchen reno, you know, it's often the trades, tradies that are the ones helping the homeowner figure out exactly where everything needs to go yeah. or if something comes up on site and there needs to be a change, it's the tradie that's saying, hey, this is what we need to do, this isn't going to work, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? So I think some of that design education at, would be is really powerful so that you know the person at the coalface can actually make a decision on a bunch of layers rather than just on the physical kind of installation of things mm. um and then also i think um it is that piece about the fact that understanding that you know research shows that it's women that are making 80 percent of the purchasing decisions in pretty much every every industry but particularly renovating and building um and that that I've personally experienced tradespeople turning up not knowing I was an architect and waiting to speak to my husband and literally Ooh, saying to me, don't worry, we'll burn. just wait till you home, you know. <laughs> and, Whoops. And me just finding it quite, quite hilarious but very sad and frustrating at the same time because I've gone, fine, well, if you want to wait for him, you know, we're not paying you any extra. If you want to chat to somebody who knows what's going on, I'm here. But, you know, like, you know, and they go, oh, ha- oh really? Do you know what to, what's happening? And I'm like, well, I'm the one that asked my husband to get you guys in and said, could we do X, Y, and Z? So, yes, of course I do, you know. So I've been, I remember my second, our second renovation project, um, I went on maternity leave um, when we just started it. And so I was standing there greeting tradespeople with a baby on my hip. Mm. That for me was eye-opening because I'd walked off a development at Mervac where I was, first I'd been overseeing, I'd been project architect on 150 houses in an apartment building and then the first stage of another project that was 150 apartments. So I'd been on site every week with tradespeople and builders. I went from that to my own home with a baby on my hip and the, the the tradespeople and the way that they treated me, it was like the very minute out the door. Sorry, not going to, I'm an architect. Stuff you've just told me is absolute rubbish. I'll see you later. Mm. So, you know, and they're the, they're the people because I know, I know in my, in my work, in my 20 plus year career, there are really good quality people out there. And I keep telling my community there are good people. You have to keep looking for them. They are there. The bad news always travels so much faster than the good. Don't believe the hype. There are good people waiting to help you do your project. So they just, you know, they need to, they need you to find them, you know. So, mm. so there's a couple of things for tradespeople. Understand that it's usually the woman that you need to be able to educate, support, and guide. Um, and there's a whole heap of, as we said, an emotional piece going on there that, you know, a lot of blokey tradies may not kind of want to contend with sometimes. And I'm speaking generally here, but. Sure think if you can understand that she just needs to feel informed and in control because she's terrified that you're going to rip her off and bamboozle her and even though that will not be your intention that's what she's going to come to the party with so you taking the time to explain to her in in terminology she understands what 
needs to be done. So she feels informed and in control of the decision making will make the ride so much smoother. And the second is your marketing. Get out there. Show people what you're doing. Show people that customers are loving you. Show people that that you're getting great results. You know, show who you are as a person. We work with people. We don't work with businesses. We build relationships with people, not with businesses. So, you know, show who you are as a person. Use easy stuff like Instagram and Facebook and, you know, get your phone out of your pocket and show what you're doing on site. Don't worry about looking like an idiot, not looking professional. People want to know you and how you work and what you're doing. And um, just remember that you're generally speaking to the woman. And if you can remember that in your marketing, then you'll, you'll go great guns. So... Yeah, it's such fantastic advice and, and uh, I sound like a broken record with my clients, uh, my tradie wingman clients. It's like, take photos, videos, like don't worry about it looking unpolished. People don't care. Yeah. In actual fact, it works to to their advantage these days because, you know, there has been so much slick production done over the years that people distrust that sort of yeah. thing. So. There's, a, there's a builder I'm good mates with actually who I've met through Undercover Architect um, named Dwayne Pierce, who has D Pierce Constructions in Queensland, nice bloke. and he um, <laughs> he's a great bloke. And he um, he yeah, he's re- his social media is really good. He'll do like get a video of him having a conversation with the client of how they felt about their project. People will always listen to other people talking about your work far more than they'll listen to you. So, you know, if you can get that kind of stuff, collect testimonials from clients, like set some processes in train where when you finish a job, you know, a survey goes. There's online tools like SurveyMonkey and Typeform that are free to use. You can set up a survey that has a URL link, email that through as a close of job process that says, could, could you just take a moment to provide us some feedback? Even if you have a handover meeting with the client, just say to them, look, can I just ask you, how did you feel this thing went? Would you mind if I filmed it? Would you mind, you know, and it's important that you're willing to hear the, the, the I suppose, negative or constructive feedback as much as you are to hear the good feedback. It's the constructive feedback that's really powerful in helping you improve your business. So, yeah, ask, just, you've just got to ask, you know, people want to tell you how you've done something. It's something that I know takes, a, like, it actually has to be, extracted out of people it's not something you can just expect and then say you know hey if you thought we've done a great job you know just remember us when you're speaking to other people about what we do so you know just just make it part of your finishing of a job that process and system yeah and just going back to that uh i guess that male female dynamic i know it's something i've talked about on the podcast here many many times over the years and and i'm sure everyone's sick of hearing it but Men and women just think differently about well building, especially. I mean, I've I've noticed that over the years, and um, I must admit, my uh, I told my fiance about about your business, uh, and so uh, she's been reading your emails and talking to me about finding her blue or our blue. Awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so because uh, we're hoping to to build in the next few years, and. And I guess, you know, I've been in and around the industry and I'm a bloke and I think more logically about stuff. So even simple things like aspect of the house and thermal regulation considerations and all that sort of stuff, to me it's like, well, yeah. And, you know, Amy's reading this stuff going, oh, and, you know, we've got to think about, you know, the position on the block and all this sort of stuff and where you want to look and is is the front of the house going to be what you want people to see and what about where we're going to live and all that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but we just think differently, don't we? 
Yeah, and no, and I think too, when you're in the industry, you forget how much you actually know about a topic. Mm. Like I, I feel like when I, particularly when I started the business, I thought nobody is going to want to read this. This is going to be stuff everybody knows. And what has amazed me is that in the course of the of the business, I've got more and more into the core fundamentals, those base, they like those basic those base fundamental foundations of design and and still people it's not something that they inherently know so for me it's really key that you understand how little people know about building and renovating they've watched the block they've um they've you know which we all know is not building and renovating there's no way in the world you'd have 10 teams of trades working over the top of each other at 11 o'clock at night so you know it's all of that kind of stuff people come to a project and there's a, there's a horrible readjustment of their expectations because people always say, oh, it's going to take, cost you twice as much and take you twice as long. What it actually is is that they have an expectation it'll be half as much, <laughs> that's half as much as what it will really be yeah. and half as long as what it will really be. And so managing those expectations is re- really early is really key because it's far better that you disappoint somebody up front than, you know, 7, 10, 12 months down the track. Yeah, so, after they've given you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And- yeah, you know, people will be looking for magic pills. They'll be thinking that they're the only person that's going to be able to solve this nut and get something built for half the price as everybody else. It all ha- it always happens. And so I find I always speak really honestly to my audience, really without filters. I, I'm so passionate about them getting the most from their investment from any time that they spend on Undercover Architect. And so I, I say to people up front, I do not speak with filters. I'd far rather you hear what you need to hear now and know whether this is the right thing for you mm. than me tell you what you want to hear and us get into problems down the track. So because it's far too, it's just demoralizing when you've gone through that whole process emotionally and financially invested in it to then feel like you've had the rug pulled out from under you. So for the women and men thing, what I find really happens is there'll be a lot of research that goes on before they even think about renovating or building. People think that they're plan- they, they, they say, well, we're planning a reno, or we're thinking about renovating or building. They could have sometimes been doing that for three, five, even 10 years. And what mm. that looks like is being online, building a Pinterest board, spending way too much time online. And that's what a lot of my <laughs> my course, I've got a course, a six-week course that basically teaches you all of the steps so that then you can streamline all of that research and be far more efficient about it. So so that that is worth understanding that when they've actually picked up the phone and said, hey, we're going to do this, there's all of that backstory behind it. Generally, though, what happens is they've been really taking forever information gathering. When they say go, they all want it done yesterday. And so it's a case then of understanding they need to understand that there's still then a whole heap of time in front of them. Men and women, I see this happen on site. The man just wants it done by yesterday because he's so sick of having the conversations about it. And I'm speaking... I'm speaking generally about this. That I have seen, I have lots of couples where the roles are reversed, where the man is the one that's wanting to take his time, wanting to make all the researched and informed decisions, and the woman is the one saying, "Can we just get this house done already, please?" Mm. So, but what happens is, in a tradesperson builder relationship, is if the ma- if the woman is the one that feels like she really needs to be informed, and she's been the one researching till the wee hours of the morning every night, and the man is the one going, "Can we just get this done already?" The tradesperson or the builder and the man will be having conversations and making decisions. The woman will walk up and they'll say, we're going to be doing this. How about that? She can't make a decision on the spot. She's not capable because she needs to go away and check it and make sure that it's in alignment with everything else she's been doing. She gets forced with her back into a corner. She throws her hands up in the air and says, whatever, walks away. And the man and the tradesperson go, yep, okay, well, we can keep going and not risking (laughs) Big mistake. completely disengaged her from the process and she is going to feel left out for the rest of the of the of the build so it's really yeah it's a case of helping her you know i think if you can have 
even if you, it's very, it's very easy to put like, what are the top 10 questions that you get most asked about what you do? Put that in a PDF, send that to somebody when they pick up the phone to call you say, I'm just going to send you the top 10 questions that I get asked and the answers that we have to them. Have a read through that. And then when we come out to quote your job, you know, that they, you know, had that, had that in front of them they've then felt a little bit more supported and nurtured as they've stepped into having that meeting with you you've shown that you've got some expertise in what you do and and that you know you know so that that trust is 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 starting to build before you even get to site Mm. you know all of these things of you educating the homeowner are going to help you land jobs more are going to help you not have to do as many quotes and kicking tires and all of those types of things you know, the education is really powerful in helping people understand what you do, how you do it and how good you are at it, you know. So that thinking about the ways that you can do that with a homeowner before you even turn up for a quote is really um, key. And look, I have to say this, everything you said applies equally to plumbers, mechanics, landscape gardeners, painters. It doesn't matter what trade it is. And look, I fall into this trap as well, Amelia, of – I assume that other people know more than they do about what it is that I do. Um, and, you know, that, that situation with my fiance, you know, it's like she's renovated a house before. Uh, yeah. And so I just kind of assumed that she knows that. But also we forget how much we know as the, as mm. the professional and the expert. And then we start projecting those assumptions onto others because I think, you know, we do it so often. And I guess you would see this in architecture as well is – we get a little lazy, to be honest. Oh, I think too. There's a real fear of if I give it all away for free, how's anybody going to pay me for it? Oh, yeah. Um, but the thing is, if you, what I say to people is, if you had to sit down across a table from a client or you know, a homeowner, and and start by telling them everything you know about what you do and your industry and and homes and you know whatever it is that you know, if you are a mechanic, whatever it is that you know, all of those things. How long do you think you'd be sitting there talking to them for? Like, seriously, you'd probably be there for years. When you think about all of the information that you walk around with inside your head that you just expect as part of what you do every day. So, you know, I think that if we let go of some of that, and even if it's as simple, like I said, as that, what are the 10 most, you know, common questions I get? And I put those on my website or I put them on a PDF. You don't even need a website, you know, a lot of those times these days. You can have a Facebook page and you get somebody's email address and you send them a PDF and, uh, you know, you can get people offshore to make those things really cheaply for you. There's websites like Upwork and Fiverr um, where you can get those things made really, really inexpensively. And you just send them off to, you know, send that off to the potential client and say, I'm just going to send you a PDF of the most common questions that we get. If you have anything else and you've got any questions, give me a call before I turn up. Otherwise, I'll see you on X, Y and Z. Mm. And, you know, and and there's that whole education process. And I see now builders are able to charge for quotes because they focus on that education first. Now, all of the things that you do over and over and over again, package them up in a way that you don't have to continue to have those conversations with people one-on-one all the time. Put them somewhere where you'll then turn up when they start searching, when they plug, you know, plumbing, um, you know, Brisbane or plumbing Aspley or plumbing Mossman or whatever into Google. And, you know, all of those types of things really cut out a lot of work. It'll be work for you to do up front, but it'll cut out so much work for you in the long run. And like the clients and the community I have in Undercover Architect are the best I've had in my career because I figured out first who I wanted to speak to, who I wanted to work with, who are my favourite people to work with and help, who could I really 
transform homes for and transform lifestyles. And I speak to just them. All the information I create is just for them. Now, it doesn't exclude other people. I still get other people coming to me, but it means that the people I get are awesome. They are the best clients I've ever had. I don't have to convince them that I know what I'm doing. I don't have to convince them to trust me. They turn up. They've vetted themselves before they even get in touch. And, you know, the people that join my courses, they're an incredible group of amazing, beautiful people who have just been looking for some support and guidance to do something that's going to be a big step for them, big, um, big nerve wracking, overwhelming step and have long lasting impacts on their, like generational impacts on their family. We all know the kind of house we grew up in. We all know what that meant to us in our childhood. So, yeah, it's a, it's a huge privilege and honour for me that I get to work and help these people in this way. And I love that Undercover Architect helps me do it on a, a far grander scale than I could possibly have the capacity to do one-to-one. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure my listeners uh, will um, identify with me on this one, but I can hear the, the passion and excitement in your voice, Amelia. You know, it's like you, you, you talk pretty quick and you cover a lot of ground, but it's stepped up a notch <laughs> when we started getting into uh, Undercover Architect. So I'm sitting here looking at the time thinking, holy crap, we, we should have booked a whole day. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd uh, get that much out of you for free. but. Everybody be snoozing by the end of it, but yeah. No, man, I'm I've been furiously taking notes here, uh, you know, professionally and personally. <laughs> but I just um, mentioned you said been saying to you find your blue so that's a, a free download that i have on my website mm-hmm. and it's called how to design a home and it's five the five steps to starting that process of thinking about how to design your home and so find your blue is one of those steps it's really about finding out what's going to suit you and um and it's an exercise that i take people through so if anybody wants to see what a see what a pdf looks like that you might be giving a customer or a client see how i teach people how to start thinking about designing their home then that's a pdf that you can grab on the website when you go to undercover Act. Com, so. so there you go, there listeners. You go. go and knock off Amelia's uh, IP <laughs> and make you it your own. Down, but no, it's. <laughs> <laughs> but but in all seriousness, uh, and and I will wrap it up because um, I know your time is valuable, and uh, I don't want to keep our listeners here for three hours. Uh, yeah. it, it's funny, you know. Just just on that real side note, to to completely contradict what I just said, um, mm-hmm. I listen to a bunch of podcasts, and I go through phases where I listen to one for a while and then I'll stop listening. It's like as a podcast producer or creator, I kind of need to take a rest from listening to other people's content sometimes. Um, <laughs> but but there is a podcast that I follow and some of his episodes are like three hours. Wow. And wow. I, I love yeah. his gear, but I look at that and I think, oh, can you give me like the 45-minute cut-down version? That's amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. a long time to have him in my ears, but anyway. Uh, I find that um, I, because I, when I started, I started my podcast a couple of years after my podcast started over a year ago, mm. and and I'd been blogging for a couple of years. So when I started the podcast, I actually planned out the content so that I could take people step by step through. Of course, you did. Kind of how to You're think an about architect. It. Of course, you would yeah, do that. So, um, <laughs> whereas the, the blogging had always been quite reactive, but what I love is that people will find an episode and then they'll go back to the beginning and they'll listen the whole way through, and it's season based, so each season deals with a specific topic but I had somebody tell me that they listened to me on the whole drive from Sydney to Melbourne and I was like wow my kids don't listen to me for that long so (laughs) (laughs) you had me in your ear for nine hours should have sent them a certificate or an award or something (laughs) you said that another person said that their son was finishing my sentences because she'd re-listen to the the episode so frequently so (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's that's a tribe right there um (laughs) 
Hey, I've got one more question to ask you, Amelia. Um, well, one more sort of deep and meaningful. Um, something that I've been asking guests for pretty much the entirety of the Tradies Business Show is if you had a thousand tradies in a room, what's, we'll try and keep it to one, maybe two <laughs> pieces of advice you would like to leave them with? Wow, what a question. Um, for me, it would be that piece around remember who you're supporting, guiding, talking to. You know, picture that they're handing you a suitcase of cash that they've borrowed from the bank or that they've been saving up, that it's this is they're, they're actually handing their hopes, dreams and future kind of lifestyle. They're putting it in your hands and, and, and take it with that sense of trust and privilege in how you go about doing your job. Um, it's that important. You know, it's that, that's the relationship they feel that they want from you. Um, it's not just you going every day and doing your job. There's a whole heap of other stuff behind it when they bring you into their home and they're getting you to do that job. And even on commercial sites, you know, there is a – your work – has far-reaching impacts through um, feasibility studies and, um, you know, a business performance and shareholder satisfaction and customer satisfaction, you know, all of those types of things. At Mervac, we had a goal that one in five of every properties would sell to somebody who bought from Mervac before. And we mm. generally, on most sale launches, would get one in three. Now, to build a business that can achieve that goal means that everything from the point of design through to the point of customer relations. Every single person in that chain, which includes all the tradespeople that came on site, had to know what was required of them to ensure that people would buy from Mervac again. So all of that is so important. You've got to understand you're not just walking on site every day to do your job. Think about all the other stuff that you're taking with you and what comes then after you in how you go about your work every day and the room, the kinds of relationships that you build with people in the process. So, And then the other thing would be just get your stuff out there, show people what you do. If you, you know, when you're good at it, when people love you, if you can just share that, it'll really help your business overall. So, Boom. There you have it, listeners. Uh, fantastic advice, Amelia. I've really enjoyed uh, this podcast. Hopefully, Thanks, Wes. Me too. Hopefully the cows are still in the paddock outside. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we haven't kept you from milking or something crazy like that. No, they're not milking cows. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my domain ends at the edge of the deck. My husband takes care of everything. Ah, nice, <laughs> nice. Understanding the delineation, that's good. Uh, so um, if uh, listeners want to find out more about you, you've sort of dropped it a few times, but uh, where should they go? What's the best way to engage with you? Yeah, so undercoverarchitect.com. There's loads of free advice. Send all of your customers there. Um, they will learn heaps that will help um, them and help you uh, with your job. And uh, I'm Undercover Architect on all social channels as well. And the podcast is on iTunes and all other podcasting. It's called Get It Right with Undercover Architect. Get it right. I like it. <laughs> if only, hey? <clears throat> well, uh, look, thank... Oh. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Amelia. Um, thanks again for your time today. It's been a fantastic chat. Uh I feel like I should do this again with you someday. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's more ground to cover, but it's um, been great having you on the show. Uh, go check it out, undercoverarchitect.com, and, uh, yeah, go figure out how to get it right in your own trade business. Thanks again, awesome. Amelia. That's my pleasure, Was Thanks for having me. No worries. There you go. As Amelia said, go check her out, undercoverarchitect.com. Whether you're a tradesperson, uh, you know, motor mechanic, builder, plumber, landscape gardener, a tiler, a plasterer, it doesn't really matter uh, what trade you're in. You might be a baker. Do bakers consider themselves tradespeople? I wonder. Anyway, 
Um, go check it out. She's got some fantastic content there. And as always, go hit me on the Trades Business Show Facebook page. Love hearing from you. I don't get a lot of love from uh, from you guys anymore and gals. So uh, go send me a message. Um, what, what was your biggest building fail? You know, have you built a house or renovated a house? How did it go? Was it a nightmare? Or did you have a really good experience and why? I'd love to hear from you about that. Um, send me your messages. Otherwise, tune in. Got some great episodes coming up. Look at some really cool swag here on the floor of the palatial Tradies Business Show studio. Um, I'm going to be chatting with a guy in the next couple of weeks that's going to help you look better. Yeah. And you can win some stuff. Actually, I've got a few competitions coming up. So, yeah, keep listening. Tell your friends about me. And uh, otherwise, that's it from me for this week. Haru. You've been listening to The Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.